Man, nice job on singing today. I couldn't really sing, so I just had to listen. But y'all sounded great. I don't know if you guys have been getting lessons. What's going on out there? So it was good. Hey, I don't know about you, but, um, you know, we're, we're quite a ways into this series here now, and I've been, been really challenged uh, by this time. Not um, <clears throat> only because, uh, you know, I can be quick to anger sometimes, just like all of us can, but more so... Um, I've been challenged by the gap that exists between what I tend to get angry and upset about, which usually is fairly petty and tends to revolve around issues of either control or comfort for me, and uh, comparing that to the issues that made Jesus the most upset. And so we've been asking the question, are we getting upset about the right things, right? God gave us this wide spectrum of emotions. And anger uh, is one of them. But we've been taking a look at, you know, how do we, how do we wield it? And what arenas do we use it? Uh, how do we direct it at people in, in a healthy way and do it with a large measure of humility um, and an awareness of our brokenness as well? And I think we've all seen how tricky it can be to try to utilize anger uh, in a healthy way. Um, and it had to do it without sin <laughs> is even more of a challenge. So... Before this sermon series even was on my radar as something that we might talk about, I've known for a number of years just by reading scripture that um, unforgiveness or a lack of forgiveness is is something that really um, gets Jesus quite upset in scripture. Um, Forgiveness is the central tenet of the gospel. So to miss its absolute necessity is to miss the entire point of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. Yet it's an area that so many of us struggle to exhibit. Oftentimes we tend to to hold grudges um, or to allow bitterness, a spirit of unforgiveness to kind of eat away at us like a cancer. And my guess is that even just the mention of the word forgiveness this morning has already taken you to a place uh, with a person where you're thinking, man, I, I I need to forgive that person. Like... There's some unresolved stuff in the room, I would imagine. A person you know you need to forgive, but for whatever reason, you've chosen to resist, at least for a season, that step of reconciliation. Because if we're honest, there's this ugly side of us that kind of enjoys entertaining the thoughts of revenge just a little bit. And throughout the, the Gospels, Jesus dropped these forgiveness bombs Um, all over the scripture and the story of his life. So here's just a couple of examples that I pulled out, one from Mark 11. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. And then in Matthew, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So from the very beginning of Jesus' teachings, he made it absolutely clear that he was ushering in this new kingdom, these new kingdom values that were going to be a challenge to the normal way that most people dealt with anger around this issue of forgiveness. So I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles to Matthew 5 today. It's page 1378. Okay. 
and it's Jesus' first big teaching segment in the Sermon of the Mount. Those of you guys that have seen uh, Chosen uh, Season 2, like it ends, he's getting ready to go out and give the Sermon on the Mount. Like it's like chills, man. It's so cool the way they set it up. So in his most famous teaching, Jesus comes out of the gate pretty hot (laughs) with his views on forgiveness. We're going to bounce around and just look at some different verses. So let's start in verse 7 of chapter 5. He says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Skip down to verse 23. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar and there, remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Skip over to verse 38. You have heard that it was said, eye for eye and tooth for tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. That's a great cross-country verse right there. I like that. Verse 43 and 44, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So Jesus is addressing patterns of operating in the church, pushing back against the normal way of operating as he begins to detail how different his reign of grace will look and what what it will demand of those that choose to follow him. So, we've just looked at maybe six verses or little passages. How are you um, hearing this this morning? Any, any just reactions to what we've read so far? How's it hitting you? Just any brief feedback? All right. Oh, hey, we got one. Wow, Jeff, there you go. Okay, what do you mean by that? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he talked about just how wrapped up he is in self-preservation, right? Maybe I'll do what seems fair, but then it's like, well, you're asking me to go above and beyond what seems fair to somebody that's hurt me, harmed me, asked a lot of me. Yeah, it really pushes against our ourself. Yeah, Will? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, he said it seems like some of the verses are <clears throat> presenting this, this feeling of weakness, like turning the other cheek, you know, let them hit you. Uh, but he's saying that it, it comes really from a place of strength. You have to be really strong to be able to do that and, and not lose your cool. Do you have anything else, Will? Yeah, he said that he's got unlimited resources for us 
to live out this life, but, he's, but he says the gate is forgiveness. Like that's the gate we have to walk through to unlock those things that we need to live the life that he's called us to. That's really good. Thank you. Do you want to come and finish this, Phil? Your thoughts might be better than mine. I don't know. That's so good. But as we move along in the biblical narrative of Jesus' ministry, you probably noticed the way um, that people kind of tried to look for loopholes in Jesus' directives, right? Surely he didn't mean to set the bar that high. Maybe we can talk him down a little bit. So one of those questions comes in, in Matthew 18 and sets up this conversation where Jesus reveals um, his thoughts on a topic that certainly stirs up his wrath. So I want you to turn over to Matthew 18. And we're going to start in verse 21. Verse 21, it says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? So this whole issue of forgiveness has been rattling around in Peter's head, and he's thinking, oh, man, I've got, I've got this great, like, compromise here. And you got to understand where, where this comes from. So in Jewish culture, seven is seen as, like, the number of perfection, of completion. And so for one thing, Peter's like, seven times seems really gracious, but it's also kind of a spiritual answer. So maybe I'll get bonus points with Jesus when I throw this one out. So he says, surely seven times is enough, right? But Jesus basically ups the ante to an absurd number. And some translations say 77 times. Some say 70 times, seven times. Basically, it doesn't really matter which one. Jesus is saying there is no, there is no amount that you stop offering forgiveness. It's limitless. You just keep doing it. And Jesus had a similar conversation recorded in Luke that brought this reaction. In Luke 17, it says, so watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> right? Basically, dude, this seems impossible. I mean, it's hard enough for us to sometimes forgive a person that come to us once a day <laughs> to ask for forgiveness, let alone the same person seven times. At some point, we'd be like, figure it out, you know? We need help. I think we can all echo their sentiment of like, Poof, increase our faith, Lord. So back in Matthew 18, after Peter asked this question, Jesus dives into this story to illustrate his point. I'm going to have Alyssa... Van Belkin, wherever she is. Yeah, she's going to stand up and read, starting in verse 23 of Matthew 18. It says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. Sorry, I had a flip there. Um, as he began the settlement, a man who owned him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay you back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. 
Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I cancel all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So this is one of many pretty disturbing stories that Jesus told to drive home how serious God is about matters that are close to his heart. Jesus says, my kingdom is like this. And so he sets up the story of this king and this debtor. And, um, you know, in different translations, it uses kind of the, the language of the times. And so um, it says that this debtor owed the king 10,000 talents. And the talent, one talent, was worth 20 years of a day laborer's wage. Okay, just an ordinary Joe. 20 years for one talent. And he owed 10,000 talents. So basically, it would be like somebody coming to you and I, normal people, just common folks here in St. Joe, and saying, you owe me a billion dollars. Now pay it back. Right? We'd be just like the guy. Whew. That's, there's no way. Right? Jesus wants his disciples to know this is an amount that could never be repaid. The king declares that the servant must sell everything that he has, including his family, to pay off the loan, which leads the servant to do exactly what we'd probably do, to beg for mercy. And the king actually has pity on him, and he absolves his debt. And you would think that this guy would be overjoyed and, like, super grateful, so grateful for this unmerited blessing. He didn't do anything to deserve it. But what does he do? Instead, he goes out into the streets and finds anybody that owed him money. And it says that he's literally choking people, begging for, you know, getting the, the few silver coins a pittance compared to what he'd just been forgiven. So much that when they beg for mercy like he'd done, he actually sends them into jail until they can repay it. So when news gets back to the king about what this guy's doing, he calls this wicked servant in and he gives him a tongue lashing. And catch verse 34 again. It says, in anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured. Tortured. <laughs> this ought to get our attention. Whew, that seems pretty harsh, doesn't it? God's pretty serious about this. Dr. Jared Bilkus described this scene. He said, the king is furious when he hears of this man's gross inconsistency. Those who abuse his gospel in order to continue in sin and hardness of heart will meet the wrath of a slighted lamb. As God is not playing around with this issue of unforgiveness. And I think the primary problem with the servant is found in verse 26. Who can identify what his issue was? Yeah. 
Ja. 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 He has the audacity to claim that he can figure out how to get the money. Anybody can hear nobody, somebody that has a billion dollars you can go borrow it from? If you do, I'd like to meet that person. <laughs> I can set up a lunch with them this week. <laughs> Folks, we have to come to terms <laughs> with the weight of our debt to God because of the sin condition of our hearts. It is bigger and greater than we could ever imagine that we could ever repay. And only when we begin to appreciate how great our sin is will our mercy towards others begin to increase. The servant didn't understand the deficit. And most people in this world are the same way, right? They think, man, if I'm just going to be a good person, You can't good person your way to a billion dollar debt. It's too much. Like him, our anger towards those who have wronged us in this world and our inability to extend forgiveness comes from a fundamental lack of understanding of the depth of our own depravity and how great is our need for grace and mercy from a holy God. Because unforgiveness at its root is pride. It's thinking that we're above the sins of others. And it carries with it this spirit that, oh, I, I would never do that to another person. What they did to me, I would never do that. I'm having flashbacks to Justin's sermon on self-righteousness from last week. <laughs> and this whole time, Jesus was spouting off these challenging commands about forgiveness he knew where he was heading. His days on earth were numbered, and the weight of the cross was looming before him. And only he knew the immense implications of what he was about to endure. He was about to take on the weight of the sin of every person ever created and ever will be created. And in one final act, he was going to cancel the penalty of all of that sin, paving a way for every human to have access to forgiveness, to be justified before God, and to be seen as holy and blameless in his sight, exonerated and set free from the penalty of sin based on no merit of their own. And how much of our debt was paid? All of it, right? Like the song, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Did he pay for it after we fessed up and owned it and apologized? No. <laughs> Scripture says that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
he made the first move of reconciliation. He was always the initiator moving towards us. And the impact of his heart, his mercy and grace was on display throughout the gospels. His actions on the cross, forgiving the thief crucified next to him, praying to the father to forgive the soldiers and the mocking crowd for, God, they don't know what they're doing. His actions on the cross led the Roman centurion who was at his feet to look up at the bloodied Jesus and to say, surely he was the son of God. Because of our forgiving and merciful Savior, a thief joined him in paradise that day. Because of a forgiving and merciful Savior, a Pharisee named Nicodemus was the man who helped give Jesus a proper burial. Because of our forgiving and merciful Savior, a disgraced woman drawing water at a well was giving a new lease on life, living water that was never going to leave her thirsty again. Because of our forgiving and merciful Savior, some of those same people that shouted, crucify him, were probably among the crowd a couple of months later when Peter was speaking to the Jews. And it says 3,000 people <laughs> repented and turned to Christ. Because of our forgiving and merciful Savior, a punk kid with a troubled home life, selfish, arrogant, and prideful, was welcomed home by his father, warts and all, and is standing before you today as your pastor. Forgiveness is not easy, but a lack of forgiveness is a dangerous place to be. When the Apostle Paul began establishing churches throughout the Roman Empire and began trying to teach them how do you go about following this Jesus, forgiveness was a central characteristic of what a redeemed community of faith would look like. Here's a couple of, of verses that Paul wrote to churches. He said, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. <clears throat> forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. After you repented and said you were sorry and made things right? No. Before we even knew we had a problem. So why do we put such high expectations on others of these hoops they need to jump through in order to be worthy of our forgiveness towards them? We see the double standard, don't we? This quote summed it up really well and kind of wrecked me this week. It said, forgiveness is agreeing to live with the consequences of another person's sin. Forgiveness is costly. We pay the price of the evil we forgive. Yet you're going to live with those consequences whether you want to or not. 
Your only choice is whether you will live in the bitterness of unforgiveness or the freedom of forgiveness. That's how Jesus forgave you. He took the consequences of your sin upon himself. All true forgiveness is substitutional because no one really forgives without bearing the penalty of the other person's sin. Just leave that up there for a moment. Any thoughts or reactions to that? Yeah. 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 We can't do that on our own. And who is the one person who knows how to carry the weight of the sin of everybody, right? Jesus, like he's our teacher in that. And so we have to come to him in those moments and say, Lord, teach me how to be forgiving like you. That's a really good point. Any other thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. For people who like justice, it's very hard for us to let go of what we feel like that other person deserves. Right? But it wasn't fair that Jesus had to die for me. Right? So <laughs> the cross is, is extremely unjust. I think the point that Aaron brought up is something that <clears throat> I think is very important for us to hold with this idea is that others are living with the consequences of our sins. It's not just a one-way street. It goes both ways. Nobody's innocent. We're all called to bear the weight of other sins just as other people are called to bear the weight of ours and to be Jesus to us when we need it. I've got personal experience in this. Uh, I mean, I know we all do at some level. Uh, but for years, I was really mad at my dad because um, he just wasn't there for me when I really needed him. Kind of those <clears throat> teenage years, young adult years where I was kind of trying to figure it out, <laughs> piece it together. Um, but I had no clue what it meant to be a man and, you know, how to 
marry and take care of a woman and be a dad, and I could have really used some advice <laughs> in that time. But I got some freedom from that pain when I came to understand that my flawed father was probably doing the best that he could with the tools that he had at the time. He didn't know Jesus, apparently didn't know how to navigate a relationship with a son that was a couple states away, and I had to let that bitterness go because it was killing me. <laughs> and scripture warns us of the dangers of an unforgiving heart. Hebrews 12, 14, and 15 says this. It says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Oftentimes, we have to take the same posture as Jesus did on the cross. We have to be able to look at those people that have wounded us with compassion and mercy and say, God, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. And guess what? <laughs> Either do I, right? I long for my heart to be like King David's, who after his moral collapse that we're all familiar with, his adultery and complicity to murder, repented, received mercy and forgiveness from God. But then he said this. It says that scripture says it looked around, he, he looked around and asked, who in turn can I show the kindness of God to? Mercy received makes us channels of mercy to others. So I want to I wanna be a person that continues, continually grows in an understanding of an appreciation for how much I've been forgiven. Like I want the truth and reality of that to just continue to sink in at deeper and deeper and deeper levels. One commentator I read this week said his forgiveness is lavish, stunning, glorious, rich, fear-inducing, and thankfulness-producing. And I want to know that more and more. So before we dive into, I need to forgive more, or specifically, I need to run out of this service and go forgive that person, I would encourage us to pray. Just something like this. God, reveal more of the greatness of my debt to you. Overwhelm me with the hopelessness of my condition without you and overwhelm me with your mercy and help me to extend it to others, especially when I feel like they don't deserve it. And help me to be the initiator of reconciliation, not the one that waits around for the other person to come and do all the things that I think they should to deserve my grace towards them but help me to be the one that initiates and restores the relationship. I love the simplicity of Luke 6.45. It says this, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. But what is your heart full of? Is it full of mercy and compassion? Or is it full of pride and bitterness? 
If you're like me, it's full of all of it. <laughs> but I want it to be more full of mercy and compassion than the other things, right? So I pray for that. I seek that. I try to surround myself with other people who are like that so that I learn from them. They become my teachers. And if you've heard anything that we've said this today, remember we had this whole sermon on how kids are our teachers. How gracious and merciful and forgiving our kids. Not the one getting strangled in there right now, <laughs> but, you know, other kids. Right? They forgive so quickly. Guys, listen, our primary problem isn't, isn't that we don't know that we should forgive others. I mean, we all know that. It's that we can't seem to do it. <laughs> or at least as quickly as we should, or as completely as we should. Something seems to get in the way. We're stuck in this unforgiving, quick-to-anger spirits crippling us, and it's, it's damaging people around us. And I feel your pain. <laughs> and next week, as we kind of wrap this sermon series up, we're going to try to look at some really practical things now. We're going to look at the way Jesus navigated all of these things, how he dealt with his anger in constructive ways so that it was anger that was without sin, right? And hopefully get some practical tools we can take away and kind of move forward in life with a little bit about how do we become more slow to anger and, and angry about the right things in the right way to the right people, okay? So stay tuned. Tell your friends. Let's pray.